Amen. 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 With the horns now. Amen. With the rhythm now. Amen. I am kind of slow on the pickup of things that most people get quickly. Um, like the use of idioms. You know, an idiom is like it's raining cats and dogs. It's not reducible to this, its literal meaning, right? I put my foot in my mouth. I don't think about like I just someone today said that someone was even keel, and then I went because a boat has a keel, and it's even on the wall, you know. And I was like, wow, like la- last year, I was third. Thank you. I was 34 years old, and then I realized for the first time your birthday suit. They call it that because that's what you were wearing when you were born. And I had been saying that for a long time without ever knowing what it meant. And actually without ever stopping to think about what it meant. And uh, this is a thing that I do where I tell a joke and then I say something serious afterward. So we do that probably um, with the Bible. And my question for us as we begin is, what if the Bible is something that you've heard a lot about, maybe you've even heard a lot of or read a lot, but you've never really caught the meaning or never really grasped what was going on with it? I was talking with someone just the other day, and they said, well, you know, Christianity is you know, at its base about like, you know, growing as a person and like improving yourself. And I was like, yeah, 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 cool, cool, cool. And I was like, wait, 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 no, no, no. That's actually not at all what, the, what Christianity is about. And, um, and so when we come to a passage like this, I think that we might be surprised if we open ourselves up to this thing that we may be familiar with or we may have baggage about. And to realize it's actually about something very different than I thought it was. And uh, so we're going to continue reading. We're studying a book in the New Testament of the Bible called Ephesians. And we're in the fourth chapter. Ephesians is a letter written by this guy named Paul who had started this church in this city called Ephesus. And these were people that had come to faith in Jesus. They had become Christians, but they didn't really know how to get along together. And so he writes them this letter. And this is what he says starting in chapter 4, verse 1. You can read along in your handout. Um, We also have free Bibles on our table. You can snag one whenever you like. This is the word of the living God. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, because he was in in jail, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity, unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called, to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, 
and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds up itself in love. Um, This is God's word. I'm going to pray. If you want to pray with me, you can. Um, God, thank you uh, for speaking to us and for giving us your word. And your word says about itself that it's a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And it helps us to see the way, helps us to see ourselves. And most importantly, it helps us to see Jesus. And Lord, we all are coming with a lot of baggage and background and preconceptions, good or bad, about the Bible. And Lord, because of all those things and because we are limited and because we are broken in so many ways, um, we just fail to understand it especially this passage, which feels kind of long and confusing. And so, Lord, we just pray that you would meet us. Lord, every person in this room is waiting for a good word, a word of healing, a word of hope. And, Lord, I pray that you would do that. And, Lord, that your word tonight would be a word of rest, as Sarah Jane shared with us, that when she, she, took, she had the courage to actually stop doing what she thought she had to be doing and to simply exist, she found that as a blessing. And that she got to know you better. So, Lord, would you do that for us now as we open your word? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, I, I, I thought about this because I was listening to a person named Rankin Wilborn. But um, imagine that, uh, you know, you grew up in a family that was fine, you know, but you never quite felt like you fit in the family. Like, you never quite felt like you kind of vibed with your family, like you would kind of felt like an outsider. And one day, you're packing up to come to college. And you go up in the attic to get the big suitcase down, you know. And while you're up there, you find a trunk. And you've never seen it before, or never noticed it. And so you, being nosy, pry the lock off and you open it up. And what you discover inside the trunk is undeniable proof that this actually isn't your family that you've been living with, right? And that you had actually um, been kidnapped as a child. And this isn't your real family at all. And now you're like, what does this mean? And that your actual parents are fabulously wealthy people. Okay. And um, they're fabulously wealthy. Your mother is a Nobel Prize winning chemist who's leading the field in cancer research. And your father is a famous filmmaker, documentary filmmaker traveling the world. And they live in the south of France in a cute little shepherding village you know, with all their money. And they're desperate to meet you. Now, remember that when you went into the attic, you were packing your stuff to go to college based on the, the, the understanding that you had of yourself and of the world leading up to that point. How does this new revelation about your family affect that decision? Are you going to go to the same school? Are you going to study the same thing? And most importantly... How does this affect how you see yourself? What you think about your past? What you think about the possibilities that lay ahead of you? About your responsibilities? 
what does it say about your capabilities and your talents and what's inside of you and what you could be, right? It changes everything to find out news like that. And the reason is, is because being always comes before doing. What we do, the actions that we take, the thoughts that we think, the words that we say, the paths that we choose are always built on what we believe we are and what we believe we're capable of. When the guy writing this, Paul, at the very beginning, he uses this word, therefore. And it's a huge word. And the reason why I want to just focus for a second on the fact that he says, therefore, is because what he's saying is, at the beginning of chapter 4, because of everything that I've said leading up to this point, now I want you to go do some things. We tend to think that knowing God or being a Christian or being a religious person is primarily about the things that you do, and those are the things that define you. But what Paul is saying is that in light of everything that came before this, now I want you to do this. You have to get the being. You have to get the being right if you want to get the doing right. In, in the first three chapters, he says God created you. He gave you new life. He gave you an inheritance if you're in Jesus. He's given everyone in Jesus a future. He's going to do this amazing thing. He's had this big plan for you. It's been a mystery, and now it's all fulfilled. And you're part of the family of God in Jesus, and he's made you into this one beautiful, diverse, united people. Jesus has done all that stuff for you, and he's given it to you as a gift. Now, I want you to do these things. Now I want you to walk as he says at the very beginning, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And that's what the rest of the book of Ephesians is going to be about. A lot of this is what you should do now. But it's all predicated on what Jesus has already done and the promises that God has already made. And we're not used to living like that. We are used to earning our identity. You are used to earning your value on campus, in your friend group, with your family, right? And that's because we do believe in the gospel of self-improvement. That if I look better, do better, am better, then, then I will be more loved, more accepted, more full, more whole. Um, a few years ago, uh, so, sometimes like the, the, what seems right within the Christian community and what seems right outside the Christian community can be confusing. I understand that. A few years ago, there was a big huff in the Christian world among many sisters and brothers in the faith about a little book series that we like to call Harry Potter. And, um, i.e. books that changed my life. Okay. And, um, and probably changed yours, honestly. And, um, the reason why there was a big huff against Harry Potter was because um, a lot of like really great, well-meaning Christian folks were like, it's about witchcraft. And the Bible says don't do witchcraft. So therefore, we shouldn't do Harry Potter. And that's a compelling argument. But let me tell you what witchcraft is. Well, number one, I'll tell you, Harry Potter is all about resurrection. And that is like the most Christian thing. But anyway, I digress. I probably don't have to convince you that Harry Potter is amazing. What witchcraft is, is witchcraft is when you manipulate something in the natural realm because you think by manipulating that thing, whether it be a piece of wood um, or a temple prostitute or whatever, that you can manipulate the spiritual realm and get things to happen that you want to happen for you that only God or the gods can do, right? 
So you're like, I want my, in the old days, it would be like, I want my crops to grow. So I'll go to the, to the, to the temple and I'll sleep with a temple prostitute because that's all about fertility. And then there'll be fertility in my crops. And I can manipulate the deities to do what I want. Um, we do that all the time by posturing ourselves. And this is what I mean. We believe that here in the natural realm, if we go to the right school, pick the right major, make the right friends, get the right grades, potentially go to the right grad school, but whatever, <clears throat> get the right piece of paper, then therefore we will move to the right city, get the right job, meet the right person, buy the right house, and then we will never have to be sad again. We manipulate things in the natural realm thinking that we can manipulate our outcomes by them. And that is profoundly antithetical to everything that the Bible is about. Because the Bible will tell us that God is not manipulated. And it's exhausting to try and do it. But Jesus gives us a completely different paradigm for our value. One, as Sarah Jane was saying, that gives us rest. Because basically what Paul is saying is everything that you could ever have from God is a gift. And you can't earn it. You can't even try. We receive everything as a gift from Jesus. Then we live it out. And simply put, what that means is that all of life is a response to what God has already done. We may respond by embracing Jesus, or we may respond by ignoring Jesus, but we're always responding. And if you embrace Jesus, then only when you receive everything from him, then you are told to go out and to walk and to live like it's true and to do it with all your effort. So the rest of the semester, we're going to talk about what is, what is this letter to this ancient church telling us about how we should live? But we always have to remember that it is not connected to our value. It's because if, if you've been in the community groups, we've been studying the Ten Commandments. And what that starts is, you know, before all the thou shall not is, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Now go do those things. So here, here's what Paul, part of what Paul tells us to do if we want to walk with Jesus. He tells us he wants us to be about unity and he wants us to be about maturity. Okay? If you look in verse, uh, the, the beginning of the passage there on your handout, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. And then he says, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Notice that he says, this is just to the point. Don't go make unity. Don't go create unity. Don't go make sure that unity happens. He says, maintain the unity of the Spirit. That God has actually gifted the people of Jesus a basic unity that's already ours. He gave it to you. It's ours to maintain. It's like if, you're, if your parent gives you a car, right? You're like, sounds pretty good. Um, your parent gives you a car, and they say, now I want you to maintain it. It's all a gift, but it requires all of our effort. And look what he says. He says, the reason is because there's one body, there's one spirit. You were called to one hope. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God. All these things. In Jesus, there is a basic oneness. The life with God through Jesus is shot through with oneness. And what he's saying is, now I want you to live and walk as if that's true. But, you know, that's super vague to be like, you know what? You should be about unity you should bear with one another and be patient and just go do it. And you're like, great, I'm going to go do it. And as soon as you walk out of the store, you're like, but I don't know what that means. And so I'm just going to try and feel 
united to other people, right? How are you supposed to walk in something so general sounding? How do you maintain some general idea? Well, I mean, you can't, right? It's like, it's like loving somebody and just, it just being generic and you don't ever actually interact with the person at all, right? Paul says he wants you to be humble and gentle and patient and bear with one another. And that one another is other Christian people where you live. That might sound like a, you know, like, how am I supposed to do this? There are other Christian people where you are, if you're a Christian, where you already live and you should be involved meaningfully with them. The way God wants you to participate in the unity of God is by participating in the local church. The church that is here in Boone. The way that God intends for you to participate in the worldwide, universal, amazing, life-giving, light-giving, transformational community is by being meaningfully involved with the local church. Practically speaking. That means showing up, being involved, getting connected, and all those things. And he says he's given gifts to the church. If you look in verse 11... He says he gave apostles, Jesus gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Um, Before this, he talks about how Jesus is like a king and he's giving out gifts. If you've ever been to a parade, you know, and like the top of the rock person is in the parade, like at the homecoming parade, and they just, what they should be doing, even though it's woefully small candy supply at the homecoming parade this year, but I've already lodged my complaint. Um, I'm there for the candy, not for the celebration. Okay? Um, but they throw out candy, right? Because they've won this thing, they're celebrating by giving gifts, like throwing candy out to the road. My kids are almost getting run over, right? Um, that what Jesus did when he ascended onto the throne is he started giving out gifts. And one of those gifts is the, are the leaders of local churches, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And their job is not to do ministry. Their job is to show you how to do ministry and to equip the saints. Saints is just a fancy word for saying Christian people. Okay? The reason why we go to Chattanooga every year, this is our fifth year, is because we are showing up not to transform Chattanooga 2019. You know? We're not there to fix low-income people of color's problems. Okay? It's not why we're there. We are there to be equipped by the gifts that God has given to his church. And they're different kinds of gifts than we usually get in our normal routine in Boone. And so we go there to learn and to be equipped. And they love that. They love to share what they have with us because they realize that they are a gift to us to teach us how to do the, the work of loving God and loving your neighbor, and loving the world. And that's why we got to do that, and that's why it's valuable. And I hear you saying, okay, so you, you're like, if I want to know God, if I want to participate in Jesus, I need to get involved in the local church, but like, bro, have you been to church? Because, <laughs> you know, it doesn't feel like it's like super magical, right? Um, that's where all this language comes from. You might think, like, back in the day, it was chill, like, people could get along, but now I just, I just culturally, I'm just like, eh. You know, with, with church stuff. And I get that. But this is what he's saying. He's saying, if you're going to do this, you have to be humble. You have to be gentle. You have to be patient. You have to bear with one another in love. And then in verse 7, he says, look, 
Jesus has given gifts to all of his people. And they're diverse gifts and abilities. And they're limited gifts and abilities. So what it means to be involved in the local church primarily is bearing with the actual people in the church. That you're like, you just don't get it. Or you just don't get me. And like generally they're like feeling the same thing on the inside. And we have to learn this unity that we already have. And I will say, just anecdotally, um, there are huge blessings in, in that. Even with the confusion and the awkwardness and, you know, smelling a fart in church, you know. Um, <clears throat> you know, people fart. Um, when I, I grew up, just to give, be vulnerable, uh, I, I grew up as an only child in a family with, uh, without a dad, right? So it was just me and my mom. And I, for just like a long time, was just like, I have a deficit, you know. And, but I will tell you that by bearing with and people bearing with me in the church, God has provided many fathers and sisters and brothers in the church because he loves to give gifts. So the first is unity. And my question is, how are you involved in this unity? Second thing is maturity. And you're like, here we go. Because um, my, my, one of my go-to lines is, there's no day like today to be a grown-up. Because being a grown-up is awesome. Just putting that out there. Maturity. Okay. What does it mean to be mature? Look what he says in verse 13. He said, he gave all these people that are going to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. What he's saying is what you grow up into is that you grow up into Jesus. That Jesus is the head of a body and that it is, like, the rest of the body grows up into Jesus. That Jesus is the center point of everything. Every part of following God is inextricably at its center about Jesus and knowing Jesus and responding to Jesus. Jesus is the center of the universe and he is the center of our lives. He's the king of this new kingdom sitting on the throne above all the universe. And he also says that he's your shepherd and you're his sheep and he takes care of you and guides you. And part of what Paul's saying is that growing and maturing in Jesus means allowing Jesus to form and inform every thought, feeling, word, action, career choice, and to always let him have a word to what's going on with you. Because when he, when he is the center, you are living in basic accord with reality, and therefore you can grow in him. Immerse yourself in Jesus. I went to Disney World a couple weeks ago. <laughs> In case you hadn't been here. And um, I love places where you're invited to pretend like that place is the only place that exists on the world. Right? This is how it is like kind of at a sporting event, you know, where it's just like the only thing that matters right now is Cameron Jarrell Newton. You know what I'm saying? And he is the truth. Um, <clears throat> I love Disney because it was a place like we went to Animal Kingdom at night and I was just like, we're really in these, you know, exotic locations. Like, it was just fully immersive, and I, you, could really, you could really just allow yourself to fall into it. And what Paul is calling us here is just to immerse yourself in Jesus. 
But again, I know that that sounds vague. And you're like, I don't know what to do with that. I just trust fall spiritually into Jesus and let him wash, wash over me. You know. <laughs> what does that mean practically? This is one thing that it means practically. If you, if you look at, um, let's see, what verse is this? Verse 15. He said, don't be a little kid. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. Practically what it means to mature and to trust Jesus and to immerse yourself in Jesus is to trust Jesus enough to be a person of truth and a person of love. To simultaneously speak truth and love at the same time. Now this is very countercultural in a very beautiful way because we don't know how to do this. We know how to do truth on its own. We kind of know how to do love on its own, but we don't know how to do them together. The closest thing that we can get to love is tolerance usually. We just kind of accept and we're like, I'm not going to judge you. I'm not going to judge you. I'm not. Gonna, I'm judging you. I'm judging you. I don't want to be judging you. I don't want to appear like I'm judging you because then you'll reject me. So I will just judge you quietly. <laughs> Slash over text message right? um, to other people that aren't you. And then I accidentally send it to you. And I'm like, no, no, no. Okay. Um, just kind of accepting things without any judgment. So what we do is we internalize the truth for the sake of what we think is love. And that's because we're afraid of being rejected. If I tell you what's true, if I tell you I think this thing is hurting you, or can I tell you how you come off, I'm afraid that you're going to reject me, so I withhold the truth, and I think that that's loving. Which is a weak love. Or we speak the truth, and we're like, I'm just going to let the chips fall where they may. And look, sometimes people need a clap back. So, like, sometimes, that, sometimes that is love, you know, to speak that clap back. Sometimes people need a strong word of justice. But we usually do that anonymously or like without responsibility to the relationship. Like, I can't really care about your well-being because I just have to tell you how it is and then I'm going to leave and that's your problem to fix. So we sacrifice love for truth. But look, if you know Jesus and you immerse yourself in Jesus, you can do both. And that is refreshing. I have a friend, her name's Jaina, and she was telling me, telling me today about her friend, Miss Barbara. And I have to edit this. I realized I didn't edit it on my sheet. But that's similar sounding to the word that I'm going to bleep out. She says she doesn't take sheet off anyone, but she loves Jesus and loves people with everything in her. And I'm like, I want to meet Barbara. Because she doesn't take crap off anybody, and she is real loving. And that's the person I kind of want in my life. And the reason why you can tell the truth, even if you're terrified of rejection, is because Jesus already accepted you. Jesus already had the option to accept you or reject you, and he took you in. He paid the price to take you in. But you can also disagree without breaking love. Because, look, like, you don't have to win the person or be right or make them see. Because Jesus has won you when you were wrong, and he's at work in your sister and brother. So even if they don't come around, you can still love them. The more you look at Jesus as truth and love, the more comfortable you become with honesty and sacrifice. It's his kingdom, not ours. And the, the truth that Jesus tells us is that we are way more messed up and wrong than we could possibly imagine that we are. But that we are, are more loved than we are willing to even hope for. Because after all, Jesus, it says here, is the one who descended to earth from, from heaven and from God 
He came and became like us. He ascended into earth and into death. And he did that to raise women and men up so that you could be an actual, real, whole human being that is loves truth and loves love. And this kind of life is really challenging because if you just stop for a second to think, what would that look like? It's scary. It requires our whole heart and effort. And I just want to end with this. Um, generally, we think, like if you, if you are here and you've come to faith in Jesus, you're exploring it, and you're like, you know, I'm just not maturing like the way that you're saying that I should be. And that means either one of two things. Either one, this is all total BS, and none of this is real. Or I must not really believe, and therefore I despair, and I rethink everything, and I internalize everything, and turn it over again and again. And that is because you believe that if something is authentic, it must be automatic. And I will tell you, that is crushing you emotionally. And I just want to say, it's not true. Stephen Curry is an unbelievable, maybe the greatest long-range shooter, thank you, the town. (laughs) Steph Curry jersey in the house tonight. Give it up. Um, Stephen Curry is probably the greatest three-point shooter in the history of the game. And dude practices shooting a lot. He is the most authentically talented three-point shooter probably of all time. And he practices more than anyone else. And if making three-pointers requires hundreds of hours of practice, then learning to trust Jesus enough to tell someone the truth or to love someone that you just don't vibe with must as well. And this is the good news. Or this is the warning and then good news. When we all give our maximum effort to maintain unity and develop maturity, the whole body of this thing that God is doing called the church is blessed and is built up. I'm having back problems right now with my sciatic nerve. And it's like this nerve, I think it's in the base of your spine. I don't really understand body. But um, (laughs) apparently there is a muscle in my hip that is pulling on this nerve. And I will tell you, when this thing is hurting, I can't do anything. I can't pick up my kids, can't bend over. The, the whole strength of my admittedly very strong physique <laughs> is completely sapped when this little thing is wrong. It diminishes the strength of the whole body. And so the good news is, is that you can come and be part. I know that you want peace and justice and beauty and light and warmth throughout the world. And the good news is that you're being invited to be part of it. Just by accepting the gift that Jesus has given us and walking in it. Let's pray. Actually, before we pray, sorry, I always forget. If you're comfortable, grab hands with the person next to you. And then, and then mumble to each other for a couple seconds. All right, and let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much that you are at work in our lives and in the world. And we want to be part of that. And Lord, I understand that a lot of us tonight are just like, I don't know what any of this means. But Lord, it sounds really good to be people that love truth and also know how to love. It sounds really good to be um, a people that are united and on the same page and working towards the same goal. And Lord, we can only do that when we just accept the gift that you have for us, which is that you lived, that you died, and that you were raised so that you could bless us and do this beautiful work in us. And Lord, I just pray that you would teach us to give effort, that we wouldn't feel like it's inauthentic, but Lord, we would, we would attempt these things, to love your church, to immerse ourselves in you, to, to question what it look like to change the way I do my relationships, 
And Lord, that through that you would meet us in it. And that, Lord, that you would give us delight and that you would receive glory from us, we pray. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Everybody say Amen.